0: Here we go again. Chewing. we're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I
1: am no The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Boylan, and with me is my co-pilot. Hey,
2: it's Drew. How you guys doing?
1: And also my co-co-pilot. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new co-host. If you listen to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, you already got the spoiler alert. But if not, she's cooler. I didn't plan this. Hold on.
0: She's oh man, cooler. let me down <laughs> so much It's too just early just in the so show bad. for you to just be kidding. letting me down She's
1: cooler than Qui-Gon Jinn Wearing sunglasses and an upside down Visors like the cool kid in the 1990s, it's Lindsay
0: <laughs> I'll try not to Disappoint, I'll live up to that I think I'm like the ray to your Han and Chewy now then, right?
1: Whoa, I'm taking a little bit Of offense to that Wait, hold on <laughs> Who's Han, who's Chewy?
0: I'll let you guys fight that out. Oh, man.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, if we're talking about who's the dog in the situation. Whoa. Hey, I have no idea where this is. I don't either. I don't either. (laughs) This is a family friendly show.
2: Okay. In fairness, Brandon, I think you're much more lovable. So that probably makes you the the man in the dog costume.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Although there is a theory that Han is actually Chewbacca's dog. I kind of like that theory if you haven't seen that one. whatever. All right. Um, Move along. And we have a guest with us on this episode of the Clashing Sabers podcast. We are going to be talking about the top three, bottom three moments in Attack of the Clones for our series leading up to episode nine, where we're going through all ten, ten of the Star Wars films that there are now. And with us is... He's got to be the biggest Attack of the Clones fan in the world. From the Wampas Lair podcast, we have Jason Hunt.
3: Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on. Hooray! Hooray! Yes, yes, I, I do quite love Attack of the Clones. I'm probably about, you know, one of three people in the world who can put Attack of the Clones in their top three Star Wars movies. Whoa.
2: Yes. <laughs> that is that is indeed high praise. <laughs>
1: and we're gonna dig all into that but we have to start the show out by asking jason what are you star warsing lately
3: oh what am i star warsing lately uh battlefront 2 uh they released dooku um uh, a couple weeks ago and he's kind of like one of my guys i really do love count dooku um so yes i had to unlock him and now i'm just trying to level him up so i can get the uh the new skin with his uh, Clone Wars costume. So yes, uh, cool. That's that's what I'm Star Warsing a lot recently.
1: Battlefront two all the time. You don't have to. Just everybody's Star Warsing. If you're not Star Warsing Battlefront two, you're not Star Warsing.
0: You don't need to defend that one.
3: I mean, exactly. so
0: good. The, the, the thing is, is
3: I don't play games that much, and so when it was like, oh, we're coming out with Clone Wars content. Oh, Dooku released. I'm like, hold up life goes on hold for life goes on hold for a minute. (laughs) I need to get back onto battlefront (laughs) too.
1: That's awesome. I, uh, I got the smugglers bounty box the first few times that it came out. And then I was just like, "Mm, it's not really worth it. But they announced the count Dooku one. And the day of, I was on there like subscribe again, subscribe again. So I got the count Dooku and then canceled my subscription because it was one of the exclusives. (laughs) So it's a fine addition to my collection. Oh, Excellent. So Lindsay, what about you? You get to go next. What are you Star Warsing lately?
0: So I have been Star Warsing some pretty fun conversations with fans who don't really get as into it as we do. Just because all the rumors coming out recently about what the title's gonna be and when the title is gonna be released, I have a bunch of my friends and a bunch of my coworkers keep asking me my thoughts. So today at lunch, we actually had about an hour-long conversation, just getting to hear everyone's kind of favorite past titles, what they think would be cool titles for episode nine. Uh, oh, nice. So just getting into some really casual, fun speculation, and just hearing from other people what they like.
1: Nice. Is there one that, like, stood out for you?
3: What, what, what yeah, was the winner? Yeah, the
0: one... The one that I like the most and seems to be the winner is I think people are kind of abandoning this rumor, but a little while ago they were thrown around the idea of um Son of Darkness.
3: Oh yeah, I remember what? That rumor. Yeah. That sounds a bit dark for the finale of a trilogy.
0: It I does, would've... but everything else, like <laughs> all the other all the other rumored ones, I'm like, that's that would kind of be a spoiler. That would give away the ending a little bit. Yeah.
1: Right. Like maybe if it was maybe if we knew they were going to do like a, a 10 11 12, I could see that. But I I don't know, this is being played up as the end of the Skywalker saga. So, I'm thinking something yeah. more along the lines of like Spark of Hope or something like that. So,
0: yeah, see that's why when I really think about it, I think they're going to use the word hope in it somewhere.
1: Hope's been that, a big thing in the Disney era.
3: Yeah. It has been. I could definitely see that. So, uh
1: let's see let's go around the horn have to pitch drew what's your what's your pitch for an episode nine title
2: you know i am i am staying out of the name fight um i am just going to patiently wait and they're going to release it when they release it they're going to give us a trailer when they give us a trailer i'm not terribly concerned because the moment ticket sales are announced that's really when i need to get involved um I remember when the name for Attack of the Clones was announced and everybody was kind of like, really? That sounds a little bit odd. And, and it kind of, well, we'll save that for a little bit later. But I mean, the title reveals kind of came down in Impact. I think Last Jedi was probably the most interesting. But even that was just announced with like a web posting on their on the StarWars.com website or something like that. So I, I saw everybody getting all in a tizzy and all excited this week. I think it was... What what really kicked it off was it Anthony Daniels tweeted something?
0: It was a mix of Anthony Daniels. There was the Disney shareholder meeting this week, and then the Star Wars show coming back, all in one day. Why and the Super so everyone Bowl? Everyone was like, "Oh, it's today. It's going to be today."
2: But nobody ever explicitly said, "Stay tuned for no a title announcement of or here's not. what
3: now." No, okay. No. Fandom fandom jumped to conclusions. What? Wait, that sounds entirely it's unbelievable. <laughs> I don't,
1: that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's it's. That funny. must
2: be the first time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It's unbelievable.
2: Groundbreaking, it, you guys. You did, you did it. You did it. uh,
1: they always say, like, at big events like the Super Bowl and stuff, you're going to get, you know, oh, they're going to release a new Star Wars trailer. They don't really seem to be doing that. I mean, Solo kind of did, you know. I, I think they well, released it. That's because they were
3: releasing Solo in May.
1: Yeah, exactly. But everything else, yeah. they've just kind of dropped it. You know, like, they don't need a big, like, event to have a whole bunch of eyes on well, it. It's Well, Star normally Wars. what they
2: do is they'll announce, like, hey, on Thursday, the Good Morning America crew is going to have the trailer. They're going to have an announcement to make. They, they release an announcement of the announcement of the trailer or something like that. They give pretty clear indication when something is coming like that. But also, we are ten months out from release. It is way early. Like, I mean, uh, yeah. I know Solo had kind of a reduced public schedule for when you compare it to the rest of the films, but even that was like four to five months and we got a trailer out. I mean, what was the time gap between the last Jedi announcement of the title and the trailer and then the public and then the actual release of the film it was still even like eight months, wasn't it? It
3: was, it was at Celebration Orlando. Yeah. And that's usually April, isn't it? Yes, it was April last time and uh, Celebration Chicago is in April this time. So I will I'm going to bet money, although no one will take the bet because it's almost a sure thing that we'll get the first trailer <laughs> at Celebration.
2: Absolutely. I think that, that makes sense. But so when when we see the entire internet seem to go absolutely berserko, um when Anthony Daniels says I'm I'm done, uh it's just kind of like I don't know, dude. You got to sit back and say, "What are we doing?" Let's take a deep breath and uh, maybe, maybe just sit back and wait till April. I know that sounds unreasonable to wait. This is the internet, after all. But I got was the recipient of a lovely parting gift. Um, well, not a parting gift. That would be really bad. My wife found um, a plush porg Ooh. with two little tiny porglets. That are sewn into the front of it. Oh my god, like, I love that one. I got you porklets, And I was like, oh, they look delicious.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it man, was wonderful. Was awesome. It's great. Unfortunately, they're going to have to sit in the closet with the rest of my Star Wars toys until I find a good way to display everything.
1: You can do what I do. I'm, I'm developing a pork shelf. A shelf of porgs? Yes. Now, is the, por- is the shelf made of porgs? One day. One can have dreams and aspirations. <laughs>
2: Build from the bones of the very birds, you <laughs> beloved.
1: <laughs> no, actually, uh, I got uh, from Steve from San Diego Sabers. Got me a uh, a Lego porg for Christmas. Um, and oh it was, yeah, yeah, it was one of those big, uh, you know, eight hundred and eleven pieces or however much it was. And I am uh, I'm not good at Legos. I'm really not good at Legos um, or anything engineering style like that. Uh, so I had to wait for Brooke, my fiance, to uh, have time, and we sat down this week and, <laughs> and did it together. And by we did it together, I mean she put the pieces together as I handed them to her. To because you be watched. Yeah, well, because when I did it, I, I, I don't have spatial awareness. I'm, I'm just, I'm faking it, guys. I'm, I'm faking <laughs> the whole, the whole adult thing. I'm just faking it all the way. That's all right. We all are. But we have a lot to get through tonight, and I
2: have a feeling this is going to be one of the longest short episodes we've ever had.
1: Us? Be long? Well, before we get into that, we do have a special announcement. Uh, We had, for our episode one uh, podcast, where we had Katie Horn from Wampas Lair, uh, we had a contest going for someone to win a Qui-Gon Jinn Kenner figure, and that winner is rural farm boy so rural farm boy i will be messaging you uh this weekend later this week uh by the time that this comes out and i will get in touch with you but for attack of the clones we had to go hard in the paint as the kids would say these days and we have a mint condition in box on card cad bane figure so, I will be posting Whoa. that to Twitter. Uh, and all, again, same rules as before. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever you uh, listen to your podcast leave us a rating and review, snap a quick picture, send it over to me at Clashing Sabers on Twitter or Clashing Sabers at network at gmail.com, and you will be entered to win. So, definitely make sure you do that. All the links will be in the show notes. Cheap plug time is done. Time to get into some Attack of the Clones.
0: You want to buy some death
1: sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life? I want to go home and rethink my
0: life. Oh yes. I also just had to Google what the heart in the paint definition
3: was. I didn't even get to Google it. I'm, (laughs) I'm guessing it's a
1: basketball
3: reference. It is a basketball reference. I'm very. Oh, look at you! Like You're that. so cool. You no, know, I I still don't know what exactly that <laughs> means. <laughs> oh man! I can narrow it down, but that's about it. Well <laughs> played, Well played. So,
1: anyways, now that we know that I'm the hippest one on this podcast, let's well, that's get into. Not hard. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, So now let's go ahead and jump into our top three, bottom three. Uh, For this episode, I am going to be acting purely as a moderator, which means I'm not going to be giving my top three, bottom three, because we have a lot to talk about in this movie. And so it's going to be on the shoulders of Jason, Lindsay, and Drew. And we're going to start with our bottom three. So, Jason, you are the guest of honor on this episode. So why don't you go ahead and start us off with your
3: bottom number three? All right. Well, I will have to preface this by saying this was very difficult coming up with three <laughs> things I have to say are my least favorite things about Attack of the Clones. So I even had to reach out to my co-host and say, help, give me some ideas. Um, nice. not, I like Not, lying, not lying. So, um, but uh, the one I had without needing any help or inspiration was the fact that there's not enough Count Dooku in here, and I, let me explain this. He does not show up on screen until one hour, sixteen minutes, and twenty six seconds into the movie. I time stamped it. Um, we needed to have a hologram of him giving some sort of speech that uh, is being reviewed by Palpatine and the Jedi Council at the beginning of the movie, just to sort of introduce who the the opponent is. But it's, he's supposed to be making some sort of like speech where he's trying to you know encourage people to join the separatists and then we go into i don't know much how long ago i can hold off the boot my friends more and more systems are joining the separatists you know we needed to have something like that something to give a face to dooku earlier more than just an hour into the movie because there, are he's too good to shove at the back of the movie <laughs> it's sir christopher lee you can't do that to him um but uh you I really do think that this movie could have benefited from having uh, an appearance of Dooku in some sort of holographic form much earlier in the movie. Um, So doing some sort of stump speech.
1: I think that would have been been interesting right there in that, you know, that intro scene uh, in Palpatine's office, like you were saying. Uh, Because but I think maybe. The The reasoning behind it is Dooku's not the, the real villain of the film. And so may, maybe they were trying to frame it that way that, like, yes, Dooku is the face of the Separatists, but not the true one you need to be worried about.
3: Well, but then that's what makes the scene with Sidious at the end so, you know, shocking. Mm. Because you'll have had, had Dooku this whole time being the face. And then he shows up on Coruscant taking directions from uh, Sidious. You know, and it's like, wait, what? I'm I'm questioning everything I knew about this movie so far. And you have to go back and look deeper again. That's so. a
1: good point. That's a very good
2: point.
3: Mm-hmm. I yeah, I tend to
2: agree. I think you're right that his introduction so late in the movie, I did the exact same thing. I said it's an hour and 16 minutes before you even meet the guy who's billed as the main villain for the entire thing. But I thought it was kind of interesting the way they kind of talk him up throughout the film. True. He's mentioned in the crawl early on. It's interesting He he's described as the mysterious Count Dooku in The Crawl. And then in the very first uh, sequence in Palpatine's office, like Brandon was saying, Mace Windu says, oh, he's he used to be a Jedi. He's one of us. He's not a bad guy. It's like, we kind of dispelled the whole mystery right there. There's not much to him after that, is there?
0: It's well, a very
3: weird way they handled him in this movie, isn't it? Well, he does say that right after Padme's accused him of attempted assassination. Um, so... Now you're like, but wait, if he was a Jedi, would he assassinate? But, right. You know, that sort of thing. And you're starting to question everything already. And by the it's way, like, I have to say, the look between Padme and Mace Windu after he says, you know, he couldn't assassinate anyone. It's not in his character. And Padme just sort of, like, gives him that extra long stare like, oh, you don't know anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, didn't, I mean, it's Mace Windu, so I don't think we're supposed to really take his uh Careful. Word. No, I, I'm I'm saying this seriously. Like, he is not supposed to be somebody we look to as the beacon of truth. You know, uh, it's well, not we like don't Yoda know said that it.
0: yet about him, though. Uh, but I feel like
1: we got the impression that maybe this guy isn't exactly the person we should be looking to with how he treats Anakin in Phantom Menace. I mean, he's he's very cold and off-putting to me in Phantom Menace, and so when you get him right here at the beginning and he's. I, to me, he's clearly playing politician. Um, I just don't know if if you trust him.
3: No, I don't. I don't think it's a matter of trust right now. I think it's just Winter's a jerk. You know, he's mm-hmm. blunt and inconsiderate towards everybody else because he thinks he sees the right thing. Uh, I don't. Though, I don't think it necessarily means he's lying or untruthful, but he's just like, nah. No, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. And you're like, okay, Windu, sure, <laughs> we'll go with that.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> but I do. We'll love... talk about Mace Windu later. Don't worry. Oh god,
0: <laughs> we always do. Somehow, we'll get there
1: somehow. Um, I do appreciate how much the the Clone Wars flushed out Dooku's character, though, because he's definitely uh, he's a character that does not get enough credit. The prequel villains, in, just in general, I don't think get enough credit for for how interesting they are. So. Lindsay, let's jump over to you and your bottom number three.
0: Yeah, my bottom number three, it's it's interesting because ever since it first came out and ever since I was 12 years old, this has been probably my number one. But over the past few years, it's become such a joke online that I had to drop it down to my number three. And that's the what we now know as the Darth Jar Jar moment. But I remember being 12 years old and being like, why is he representing them in the Senate? And why does he have the power to make this extreme notion that sends everyone into war? You know, it's just something that never really sat right with me. But now at least it's just such a joke online that I can't be too mad watching it. But it still irks me.
2: You're talking about when he's the one who gives or submits the motion to – Give emergency powers to yep. Palpatine? Yeah. What does the Darth thing have to do with? It? I don't I don't oh, think I know. Oh, because
0: this one. so now there's the I'm whole not cool. There's the whole theory online that Jar Jar this entire time has actually been a Sith Lord. Oh, and, God. He is, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he is yeah. and he has been that with working with passion. Palpatine to get that notion going.
3: I really? hate that theory with a fiery, burning passion. It should die a horrible, horrible death in the internet.
1: Yeah, it's the internet. as mo- nothing nothing most nice.
3: theories said. Yeah, the oh, internet is
1: dumb. <laughs> we say on a show that's going to be posted on the internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, internet.
2: As a member of the species, I think I can speak for us.
1: <laughs> Have you guys seen the um, the new thing that came out with Jar Jar? It's from uh, the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Uh, in the in the first scene where Anakin and Obi Wan come in, and he's got like something on his sleeve, and they're linking it to the Crimson Dawn symbol, and everybody's like, "Thought we wouldn't notice." Oh. Have you seen oh. that meme?
3: I... no, I haven't.
1: <laughs> I'll have to find it. It's great. I mean, it's no, it, it's not. It's <laughs> it's just great in the sense that like the internet is going to such extremes now to make jokes. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But no, I. I see what they were trying to do there, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, making Jar Jar, who was this lovable, you know, joyful character. And you're, you're seeing the slow demise because he trusted the wrong people and, and stuff, you know, and kind of lost his way. Uh, I see it. But, yeah, it is kind of weird. Like, I don't know why everybody yep. trusts. If, if it was Naboo, I, I get it because I, I feel like Jar Jar Binks kind of would have become a, a household name in Naboo, but
3: galactically? Well, he, here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to school you on some Jar Jar. Please um, do. Please do. <laughs> so, uh, of course, Jar Jar is there to represent the Gungans on Naboo. And the this is evidence that the Naboo and the Gungans have moved past their divisive culture from 10 years ago. So that's why he's there. Um, and, of course, he's good friends with Padme. Um, and, of course, he has taken responsibility of representation since Padme is now in hiding because he is a legal representative of Naboo. However, he is a purely good and innocent character and therefore <laughs> is easily manipulated by Masameda and Palpatine. Um, he Not only is he pure, good, innocent, he is a little naive. Um, and so... They say something to the effect of, well, Padme would have done this, and he's so concerned for her safety and well-being and the safety of his friends that he goes ahead and goes along with it. Um, Now, the reason why Jar Jar is there and the reason why he does it is he is the canary in the coal mine when it comes to corruption and the demise of the Republic. So that is why he's there. He's the good, innocent character who gets manipulated into doing something absolutely horrible. Mm. Um, And that is why he's the one that does that motion.
0: No, I mean, it certainly makes sense. And I get that he's the only one then who really could play that part. But there's still that one piece to me that's like, everyone else on the Republic side should have known he's not the best fit. You know, he shouldn't, maybe he shouldn't be the one who can step in and have this sweeping power to Completely well, change how the government is.
3: Functioning. Well, all he did okay. was put the motion forward. Everyone else voted on it. Yeah,
2: I have a, I have a. That raises a really good point, Lindsay, because in the scene, he makes the motion. He makes the prop. He proposes to grant Palpatine emergency powers, and then everybody cheers. And then Palpatine stands up and accepts the powers and forms an army. So I have two government questions. Number one. Is there a functional difference between a senator and a representative? Because it seems they both sit in the same body. It seems that they both have the same kind of powers. And number two, why is clapping the way in which they pass motions?
1: They have, like, one, of those, they have one of those sound a- meters that you see at a football game where it just
3: there's goes a- up real loud. It's like
2: somebody watched British Parliament as they all <laughs> go crazy, but don't pay attention to the fact that they actually still have to cast a ballot.
3: There's a time cut. You really want to sit there and watch everybody cast a ballot?
2: Hey, I'm the kind of the political yeah. junkie Roll nerd call, that would. <laughs> uh, yeah. C span has that cool ticker, that name by name, one by one, the eyes versus the nays. I love it. <laughs> I was looking for that. I was kind of like, wait a minute. Nobody's actually voting in any way, shape or form. The guys jump up and down and swing their hands side to side. It was very awkward. And I was like, but wait a minute. That's the mechanism by which they enact laws?
0: No. You know what I would be all for? and I feel like you're going to be right here with me, I would love some kind of reference book where it's all of the Senators voting history for every kind of motion. (laughs)
2: 100%. Sign me up on Kickstarter.
0: I would run to Barnes & Noble for that.
2: Absolutely.
1: Pre-order on Amazon. Take the day off just so you can read the (laughs) whole book. (laughs) I
2: I want the collector's edition. I want whatever nonsense we can get for that. More of that is good.
1: You know, I I'm kind of wonder if, you know, Jar Jar got put in that position because nobody else really cared about him, and you know, except for Padme. And he kind of was, was the martyr of this is not a motion that is going to be nice to present, even though we know a lot of people are going to support it, but it's not going to look great. So you have Jar Jar present it, and he, you know, it's Jar Jar who cares, right? is their thinking. And, and you know, like, like Jason said, he's kind of the canary there should be warning them that things are going the wrong way. I don't know.
2: I think that presumes a, a lot more thought and logic than it, it we're given evidence for. I mean, Padme inst- installs him as her proxy. Like, she says, it's your job to lead this and your job to kind of take my seat in the Senate and speak for the planet. And then later on, like Jason said, when Masameda Meta and Palpatine are like saying... If only Senator Amidala were here and like, they couldn't like, stare at him harder and say, this is exactly what she would do and she trusts us and therefore you should as well. I mean, they're playing him 100%. It's exactly what they should be doing. And, but he thinks he's doing the right thing by saying, well, Padme is like the best friend that I've ever had. She's the one who actually treated the Gungans like respectable beings. And so therefore I want to be exactly like her. So, I mean, it fits within their characters to me. And it's, it's just also- kind of unfortunate.
3: It's also, he's, this is the only way he sees to help save her life. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Okay. I can, yeah, I see that. I see that. So, Drew, let's circle around to you and your bottom number three. Okay. Buckle uh, up, baby.
2: This, I don't know what that means. Um, this, like Jason said, this was kind of tough, but I don't necessarily think it's for the same reason he thought it was tough. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: my number three least favorite thing here is how quickly the issue of Sifo Diaz gets dropped in this movie and the overall, and I have a corollary, the general lack of quality in our poor good friend, Obi-Wan Kenobi's detective work.
0: Oh, you stole my number too. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I saw. I, I, I heard. I caught something this time. The last time I watched, I watched it the other night and took too many notes. And I caught something I'd never heard ever before. Is when, <clears throat> when, Mace Windu asks Kenobi, "Is it?" You know, uh, he asks him a question of basically, "Is it reasonable to think the the Camino is behind the assassination attempt?" Because they're still trying to figure out who's trying to kill Padme. And Obi Wan says, "No, it. There appears to be no motive." And I almost fell out because I was like, are you kidding me? Of course there's motive here. Camino is creating an army to the tune of millions and millions, like over a million members of this army. It's their business model. The prime minister is the number one salesman for the entire planet. That's exactly what he does in this film. His job is to, is to sign deals and provide, right? So he sees the army is being created, and then the Senate has to take up a vote on whether or not the actual republic is allowed to create an army. That's why Padme goes back to Coruscant at the very beginning. It's the Military Creation Act. The passage of that act absolutely is critical to whether or not the Order for the Million Clones can be completed. And the Camino knows that if they pass that act and they're not allowed to create an army, that contract is dead in the water and they are never getting paid. You can't tell me a million-member army contract value isn't worth trying to take out the senator. So I was barely paying attention. I was like, of course I can come up with a motive to kill a senator. Now, it's still absurd and whatnot, but it was unbelievable that I'd... First off, I'd never caught that particular connection before, but the fact that Obi-Wan was like, no, they seem like good people to me. No, no, no. These guys, <laughs> these guys are the most bland and passive and like war machine feeding kind of things and they're supposed to be don't get me wrong it's not like a i don't feel like it's a misinterpretation but it felt so crazy that obi-wan just completely glossed over them as soon as he heard a new person introduced into the conversation in Django fett i i, I just couldn't believe it and then to the one of the most interesting parts of this film is the mystery of sifa diaz you know, he ordered the army, but he was killed before he could have. So somebody took his place and there's real intrigue and mystery there. And it gets completely forgotten. Like, I don't understand why we couldn't, like, have figured a way to, to, to round that out. And, and I feel like the film left that off in order for it to be developed in the ancillary materials, the comics and the novels and what things. And that's starting to really bother me when a film does that now. I'd rather just have those kinds of things complete and solidly told within the context of the film itself.
0: So honestly, I'm kind of with you up until the point where it bothers me that they leave things off to be explored more in novels and comic books. I do like that. But I think that this was a big enough point that it should have been clear by the end of Attack of the Clones, or at least in uh, Revenge of the Sith. That's something like big enough. That is absolutely something that should have been very clearly defined for everyone.
2: A hundred percent. This is kind of one of the, like you said, if they had wrapped it up somehow in Revenge of the Sith, that would have probably been the best payoff. But these films have little to no connectivity between them. There's very few things that that directly carry over in, in the sense of a mystery and its resolution from film to film. And that's really started to bother me the last few times I watched these prequels.
3: I, I can, I can grant you that, um, a little bit, although I, I do think that the mystery was not designed to be answered in attack of the clones. So yes, I agree. It should have been picked up in revenge of the Sith, but then they decided to make the revenge of the Sith all about the fall of Anakin. And that kind of got <laughs> dropped. So, um, but, uh, I can grant you that that the the mystery of Sifo-Dyas, uh not coming to a conclusion in the films. is a bit of a bit of a downer. So I, well,
2: it would. I thought it was so great that Obi Wan was visibly confused and said, "Master Sifo-Dyas was killed more than ten years ago," which puts it squarely in the realm of the Phantom Menace timeline as well. So it felt like there was like this, they were trying to create a bridge that says, well, wait, there's more going on behind the scenes in the Phantom Menace than we realized. Kind of like the value that the Darth Plagueis novel brought to the table that said, You saw the movie and you've seen some of these sequences, but let's let me show you what's happening in the room next door. Let me show you what happens after the camera cuts away. And some of those things were really interesting because of the additional context that it lended to something we thought we understood pretty well. And I feel like this was a really good opportunity to do that again. It was a mystery that could bridge both uh, backwards and forwards, and it just it just doesn't.
1: And the conclusion that they gave it in Clone Wars, I've just never found super satisfying either. You know, where Dooku basically... Is it, isn't sifo basically alive? And he's just been imprisoned by Dooku for years.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's one of those things for me, not only is it not satisfying, it's kind of confusing. Yeah. So now when I even people thought ask Saifo me D. like
3: was a vision. I thought the Cypodius appearance in Clone Wars was a vision. See, that's what I've never think been it's able real. to figure but
2: out. That's my interpretation too. I thought he actually was dead and no, that he's dead. Dooku just basically uh, just basically put on his, his jacket. And pretended to be him, and and ordered the the army underneath the guise of Sifo name yeah. because uh, Duke, who was no longer a member of the Jedi Council, and so he had to he had to lend the name of a of a master who maybe they didn't know was had passed away yet, and was able to that's how he was able to put the tab on the the Jedi orders bill. Is my understanding anyway? Yeah,
3: no, no. You're
0: probably you're probably right because one of my issues is it's not even totally clear. In Clone Wars. No, it's not. It, yeah. It's
3: sort of, you, you kind of get the idea that Dooku probably killed sifo and then ordered the army right, right. after sifo was going to do it anyways. Um, you know, and then just I mean all, build it as a proxy. But that's not explicitly said either way either.
2: And, and all I would have asked for, and I, I hate to go back and say, well, this is the way I would have made the movie because no one asked my opinion, and that's totally fine. All we needed was the line when like Dooku and Sidious meet in, in the works at the end of the film is to say something about the army that you ordered or you know, job well done on the on the army that looks like they performed admirably, even though it fell into the hands of the Jedi Council or something like that. Something that City that shows that Sidious and Dooku were aware of and in control of the formation of the army in order to to, to turn the Republic into that military weapon. I mean it's just like it's sitting there. It's like this nice, juicy conclusion and a really interesting storyline. And they're just like, no, nah, let's go make Yoda do backflips instead.
0: And anyway, what's wrong with that? We'll talk I'm, about that. In a minute. If, Don't worry. If, we, if we could have both of those things, that would be great. <laughs> I know.
1: It, it needs a clear conclusion. Like, it's not one of those things that can be left off because, oh, it could go this way or it could go that way. Like, we know where it ends. So what's yeah. the point of leaving, leaving the, the prequel part a mystery, you know? Uh, and, it,
2: and it visibly confuses our main characters. It's like the giant question mark that everybody goes, what? And it's no one knows it. Yoda has no idea what's going on. He doesn't know how somebody could have manipulated the archives. Dangerous and disturbing this puzzle is. Obi-Wan doesn't understand what's going on because he thought my Sifatius was dead. I mean, like these are major bombshells if you're a jedi council member and they're just like nah it's cool we'll figure it out
1: tomorrow <laughs> let's um, go
2: to dex Diner instead
1: hey you gotta have a cup of Jawa juice <laughs> everybody needs a cup of Jawa C. juice yes <laughs> uh all right let's move <laughs> let's so jason let's circle back around to you for your bottom number two
3: all right um Overall, I don't have too much of an issue with this because I've, you know, made my own explanations. But I do think we need a little bit more of Padme's side of the love story uh, with Anakin. Yes. Uh,
1: Honey, it's so good to see you safe. We were so worried. Dear. I know, I know. But I had to say it. Now it's done.
3: Did you know, Anakin, you're the first boyfriend my sister's ever brought home? He's not my boyfriend. Anakin's a friend. We've known each other for years He's a Jedi assigned to
1: me by the Senate to protect me a bodyguard Oh, Pat May. they didn't tell us it was that serious. It's not I promise I'm not in any danger mom
0: Is she Yes um, I'm afraid she is
3: so uh... For instance, there's the deleted scene where they go and have dinner at her parents' house. If we had kept that in, that would have made things a lot better. Or if we had something similar to that, uh, you know, her sister is basically making fun of her for bringing a boyfriend for the first time home and, you know, that sort of thing. And and Padme's like, no, 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 no. And you can totally see straight through Padme. Um, so uh, if we had had something like that left in the movie, you know, I, I think that would have been good. Um, but... You know, a- Anakin. Anakin is totally. You know, we we totally see Anakin's side of this. Uh, we do need a little bit more from Padme's side, I think. Um, but I've had it explained to me by Katie and other people. Uh, it's a way that satisfies me. I just think it should have been shown.
0: That was actually my number one. So now we have <laughs> Drew taking my number two. We have Jason taking... I'm going first next time. But no, I. Didn't. <laughs> I'm doing all three of mine in a row next time. (laughs) (laughs) But Jason, I totally agree. And not even just in terms of the love story, but just in terms of Padme as a whole, because you're totally right. We get to see her with her family, with her sister, but then she also has the nieces and we get to see her with her mom and get this really deep understanding of where she came from. And I think what's so crucial for any character, what's important to them, because obviously as a queen, as a senator, we understand that politics and the well-being of Naboo is important to Padme. But now that we have this added layer and this added element of, oh, wow, she's still really close with her family and she's really trying to protect these people. It goes such a long way for not just the love story, but every single action she takes throughout the next movie and a half
1: and That's padme slowly like kind of loses her self you know through the the movie she starts like super strong and then attack of the clone she gets kind of weakened and then revenge of the sith she's basically barefoot and pregnant which we'll talk about but uh <laughs> uh you know i think that what this adds or or the the scene at the house what it would add is it not just shows, you know, what she cares about it, but it shows that she's still young, you know? And, and I think that's really clear <clears throat> that Anakin is real, really young and naive. Um, and she's, you know, been the queen of a planet, and she's a senator, and she's seen more, but she's still, like, mid-20s and has a lot of stuff that she hasn't experienced. And I don't think we get that um, in in Attack of the Clones and that, that little change. I... I there's enough stuff we could have cut out to get those two minutes in there.
2: Hundred percent. This is actually part of my number two as well because I I don't quite understand what there is in this film that well that's that's I don't want to say like it's hard it must be hard to be a Padme fan with this film. I think her character takes a nosedive in this entire thing, and it's really tragic that it does that. The 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 love connection is not well-developed. She ha- there We're going to talk about one particular scene later on in our conversation that I do appreciate very, very much. However, for the majority of the film, it looks like poor Natalie Portman got one take to do her lines, and that was it. I feel like she does not get a chance to bring this character to life at all. And the things you guys are talking about is 100% emblematic of that. I, I don't understand what they're doing with this the character here because she could have been doing so much more she could be so much more convincing she could be so much more human um but they don't give her that chance and it's so frustrating that they don't i'd love to get her side of the story and and Anakin just beats her up in those in the the fireplace sequence is like almost like a hostage negotiation He's manipulating her. He changes his story on her. He makes her the bad guy in the relationship. And it's just, this movie is not fair to poor Padme. I don't understand what's going on here at all.
1: Well, it starts out, you know, showing her as this strong leader that we remember, you know, coming to prevent this military creation act and everything, you know, and she's the one who said, I will not, you know, condone actions that will lead my people to war. So we know that, you know, she is more of a pacifist than than anything else, but we also get that you know she's not going to take any crap from anybody. Stuff when they're going when they first arrive at Naboo and Anakin's trying to present a plan and she's like, "Uh, dude, no! Like, this is my planet. <laughs> I run this show." And you're like, "Okay, all right, cool." They're like, it, Padme's still here, but then like you said, it just like it's it's a nosedive after that until until you get to the arena and it's still. Most of the arena feels like she's fighting just to get back by the side of Anakin instead of fighting because yeah. she's Padme and she's a badass.
2: I, I tend to agree. I think it, it starts with the, the the first sequence that is really troublesome to me is kind of the damsel in distress bedroom sequence when Anakin bursts through the door and he does a little flip and kills the the slugs whose name I used to know you know fifteen years ago. Cahoots. Uh, ah, look at you. With the clutch answer. But I, the way, I, I, I just the way the camera, <laughs> with the way the camera is static down the bed when she does the whole wake up and, and looks right at the camera and does the gasp of like, oh my goodness, I'm under attack. It's like, that is not the Padme we saw five minutes ago. It's, it's they changed their, her to be like that damsel in distress. You expect her to be tied up and left on railroad
3: tracks next. It's it's that kind of basic. That seems, basic that seems a, bit simplistic how are you going to react if you know all of a sudden you're woken up because a jedi is jumping on your bed to you know <laughs> slice killer well, bugs us, that are about I'd to feel great. you i wouldn't wake up like looking like my eyes
2: are crystal clear and i've been awake for six hours on a movie set and i wouldn't clutch my pearls and go oh dear he saved me why I you are so you so much to better bed,
0: Drew? Exactly. Oh, dude,
2: did you see her hair? Her hair is <laughs> dead, okay? <laughs>
0: that did not, I really want to throw up. something else out there. Hashtag up. woke right? up like this. So I think that the, and this is kind of just me spitballing, so uh, someone argue with me if you think I'm on the wrong track. True. But I would say that the reason <laughs> that's where the clashing part of the Sabres comes in Um. I would say that the real contrast with Padme and why it's kind of hard to settle this is because we obviously know her from Phantom Menace at this point. We know she's this really strong young character. We have read the attack of the clones novelization, which I think flushes her out way more than this, but in the attack of the clones movie, We understand she's a strong character because other people tell us that, you know, we have them saying things like, I'd be more worried about her doing something foolish than him. And we have people talking, you know, like we mentioned Palpatine and Masamata saying how she would stand up to the Senate and make these bold notions. And it's all these other people explaining to us what a strong person she is, but then when we actually see her, we don't get to see her do any of that. We only know, in the movies at least, we only know that she's a strong character because it's being told to us, not because it's being shown to us. Mm-hmm. I, I'm until, not so sure. Until the final uh, fight arena scene. Yeah.
3: I'm not so sure because uh, the the thing about people is that we are not, you know, single Plain people. It, there's, you know, layers and layers and layers to us. Uh, she is a strong person. We know that. We've seen strong Padme all throughout the Phantom Menace. But strong people are also have vulnerable have also have vulnerable moments, and that's what makes people interesting. Um, and and I will grant you, not everything in this movie is done uh, in a way that is particularly flattering in that respect, but. Uh, we all have our strengths and our vulnerabilities. And relationships is obviously something that Anakin and Padme are very bad at. Um, <laughs> so they, they're they a bunch of, you know, essentially teenagers in love uh, because they don't know what they're doing. They they And so they're very awkward at this. They're very bad at this. And they don't know how to act in a serious relationship kind of situation. Neither of them do. And so they both make mistakes and they both come off looking like idiots um, in that kind of regard. But I, I do think that we already know Padme Strong. This is already e- evident to us. And yes, there are moments in here where she shows off that strength. But we're now seeing that she's also vulnerable. And this is a sign that she hides from everybody else um, except perhaps Anakin now. And everybody was stumped. (laughs) Jason, I think you
1: won this one. That's
3: pretty dead on. Well, hang on a minute. Well, I'm I'm offering an alternate point of view. I think you you
2: you are you're right that we are definitely told that she is a strong person. I think Lindsay. I I tend to side on Lindsay's camp because I think that in other other entries in the Star Wars universe, we see it done to a more successful degree. Um, I will grant that. I think that. and maybe it's just a function. I think this is, a. I think the real problem is that unfortunately George Lucas doesn't, wasn't writing a very successful scene between these two characters. I don't think he had a a really good grasp on, on writing the way that the way these two people should be interacting. And here's why I say that. I understand that they're basically teenagers in love and teenagers are dumb in love. Teenagers are dumb in general. That's fine. Um, But the way the film portrays them is in some kind of classic romantic classic Hollywood romance. And that's evidenced in the music, right? We know Across the Stars is a wonderful piece of film, or wonderful piece of music rather. And it was created, there wasn't really a love theme in the rest of Star Wars. So Lucas and John Williams wanted to have one of those classic Hollywood romantic themes and to use that in a sweeping way. But that comes with some baggage. Not bad baggage, but it comes with some implications. The the music has clear implications on the film, and it's used to show us that these are serious people. That theme is designed to convince us that their love is genuine and deep and mature. But it is not matched by a lot of the other evidence we get for that. Now, again, there's one scene that I think does a good job of that, we'll talk about later. But I think the the dinner sequence is pretty good, but the fireplace sequence is really, really rough. And that's really the heart of the issue. If we're talking about specifically the relationship between Anakin and Padme, that's, that's the sequence that really makes me just particularly uncomfortable um, because of the way it allows Anakin to treat Padme. Now suddenly Anakin is the victim for having these emotions and it's her fault that she instills them in him and, and that kind of stuff is, is bothersome. But to Lindsay's original point, it's I think this is a it, Lindsay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your issue is the show don't tell problem. Like we hear them everybody say, you know, they speak these words which impart some kind of qualities and characteristics upon her, but there's not a whole lot of evidence that you get to see that lines up with that, as compared to the way we're introduced to Ray in The Force of Awakens, where her introduction is silent and all we get to do is observe. And we learn so much about her character by the way in which she actually behaves. And I feel like if we got more of that, maybe earlier on in Attack of the Clones, it would have helped solidify that character the way we actually want her to be.
0: 100%.
3: So well, I, I, think, I think it is a little difficult, though, to compare Ray's introduction to Padman Attack of the Clones because that kind of stuff we already got in The Phantom Menace kind so, of the stuff we already got in the Phantom Menace this kind of, the, the, that kind of introduction type of explanation would have been done in the Phantom Menace I mean so you're not
2: wrong really there, is a, there is an introduction there but I think you've got a whole new movie in Attack of the Clones you get an, a, a chance to reintroduce characters I mean Anakin gets reintroduced as an entirely brand new person uh, so does Obi-Wan um, I think everybody gets a chance to be reestablished because so much time has passed I don't know that do we th- let me ask a, a, a related but not exactly the same question? Do we think that Padme gets a fair introduction in Attack of the Clones, or are we expected as viewers to take the the homework of having watched the Phantom Menace and bring all of that information with us? Does that make sense? Is that a fair question?
0: Well, fair I, question. I would say the latter for sure. Do you think?
2: Do you think the other characters get that same treatment? I'm sorry, re, 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 rephrase <laughs> sorry, the question it, for me. It's a, convoluted, it's a convoluted question. I'm sorry. Um, I think, cause here's, here's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I hate to answer my own question because I don't think that's fair. But Anakin in Phantom Menace is a little boy, and he's optimistic. He's wide-eyed, except for the time he beats Greedo up. But he gets reintroduced in Attack of the Clones as a Jedi Padawan. He's got new emotions, new problems, new relationships, and all that kind of jazz. Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace is also a learner. He's behind Qui-Gon Jinn, so he's the follower. He may not agree with everything, but he understands the value of the mentor-student relationship. And in Attack of the Clones, he's introduced as now the teacher. So we understand him in a new way. Um, He gets to have new relationships and new agency uh, all of his own. Does Padme get that same kind of opportunity to have a new character at the beginning of Attack of the Clones?
3: Um... I will say yes and no, because to some extent, her role isn't that much different. She just has larger stakes and a larger platform. And we do get that at the beginning with the assassination attempt. We find out that she's not a queen anymore. She's a senator. She's also still crafty because she's flying as a pilot rather than in her own you know, ship. Uh, and then we find out that she's important enough and outspoken enough. To warrant an assassination attempt, and so I think, to some extent, I don't think it's as blatantly retold, but in some ways, yes. Um, although, again, you know, you go from queen to senator, and that's a lot of the same kind of responsibilities, just more people and a bigger platform that you have to answer yeah, to. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: She goes from just you know working directly with the people of her planet. To representing them on a galactic scale—that's a good point. Oh, that's that's interesting because even in the Phantom Menace, the Nemoidians are after her specifically as well. So there's always like she's got this target on her back for the whole of movies. It's, it's kind of weird.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's very much like Leia. You know, Leia goes with a target on her back through the whole original trilogy.
2: Ah, she goes and invites that target though. She looks she, for that. Target.
3: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she welcomes <laughs> that. That is. Also <laughs> true.
0: <laughs> yeah. Someone comes up to, me, to her with the target and she's like, oh, wait, let me get tape. Can you just throw that on yeah. my back real quick? Yeah. i talk. I should have expected
1: to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. <laughs> I'll give you a head start. I don't need a head start.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm going to write the kick me sign. <laughs> she ta-
2: She literally takes the plans of the Death Star and hangs onto them like in her pocket for a while. So... <laughs>
1: Awesome. Awesome. All, all right, right. So I think all we have left is Jason's number one. Is that right? And Drew's number one. All that's all right. about right. Unless all Lindsay right. wants to add anything else. we may have.
2: You know what?
0: Well, we while we're it. on the bashing Padme kick, I'm going to say that my honorary mention for things that I do not like about Attack of the Clones. I know Padme is always a little over the top and elaborate with her wardrobe. But the the outfits that she wears when she's supposed to be disguised as a refugee. I'm like <laughs> I, I would wear that to a black tie affair. <laughs>
1: She lives a certain kind of lifestyle, okay? She, she
0: has she does. and She's that lifestyle Nib- does not fit in with my sweatpants and t shirts <laughs> uh,
3: But let's be let's be fair. She's a Naboo refugee. They all have a, a certain level of fashion that they have to uphold because That's they're a from that really point.
0: That is a very good point.
2: <laughs> On, uh, if I can tag off of that, I like how in that same question of like really questionable fashion choices, when she go when they go to tattooing, and it's 150 degrees outside and she wears a head to toe dress. <laughs> and all you can see is her face. And she yeah. goes,
3: Oh, I'm Padme. Like girl. That's so she doesn't have to slather herself with oily sunscreen guys.
0: I mean, oh, she'd yeah. be out there
3: like, I yeah, can't all day. day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I don't have any real comment about her fashion. I am not fashionably <laughs> savvy enough for that. Um, I'm with you on that one, Jason. So let's go to your number one.
1: What is your uh, my, number one?
3: My number one, I do have, and this is going to be not specifically uh, story related. Um, I have a bit of a quibble with the music in the second half of the movie. Because wow. I love the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. There are some of the most amazing things in Star Wars music done in this movie. However, you get to the end battles and it is ninety percent recycled Phantom Menace stuff. Yes. I want I wanted more I wanted more of what we got during the the chase on Coruscant, more of what we got in the Rumble in the Rain, things like that. And it is ninety percent Phantom Menace retread in the uh, the arena battle and and this you know the Genosis ground battle and stuff like that. I needed more new stuff. Um so, yes, I, I don't have a lot else to say because I know John Williams was a very busy man at the time, you know, writing Harry Potter stuff and other things like that at the same time as this. As this and they kind of changed direction in the soundtrack partway through. And so he was unable to really get what they wanted uh, because of time constraints. But I needed more new stuff in the second half of this movie.
2: Do you think that's the core of why they use so much Phantom Menace music? Because I I thought the exact same thing. It was like 50% of this film we've heard these things all before and not in the cool little ways he works motifs in but like cut and paste copies out of the, the first uh, first movie soundtrack. I, I looked for some kind of an interview or something online. I couldn't find any other information on why they did that. Do you think really the, the time, the
3: inability to score some stuff was the main issue I, or was I there think- purpose to it? I think part of it was they decided they wanted to change a different direction with the score and some of the stuff that he had originally done end up on the cutting room floor. This, I got some of this from, uh, David Collins on his, uh, some of his different podcasts that he's done. So, and some of this information is old, so I may not have it exactly correct, but yeah, I do think part of it was time and they were trying to go for something different than what they originally had. Um,
1: I completely agree.
3: I completely agree.
1: I love Attack of the Clones soundtrack because Across the Stars is my favorite song ever. I absolutely adore Across the Stars, and it's just laden with it. But that's also part of the problem is it's just laden with Across the Stars, and there's not much else to that soundtrack. So, uh, Drew, let's round it out and so we can get into the top and the good stuff. Yeah,
2: I I promise there's positivity coming, people. Um, There
1: better be. Otherwise, I mean, I'm le- I'm leave. Leave.
3: Otherwise, I'm leaving. <laughs> I was promised positivity.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to upset Jason here.
3: <laughs> um, it's, it, trust me, it takes a very lot to make me upset. So, I right, oh, cool,
0: hope cool. I find a way. I mean, I could try harder <laughs> if that's what you're saying.
3: <laughs> if you try to deliberately make me upset, then I don't know. I don't know what I'll do.
2: Again, yeah, it says clashing right there in the headline. It's you know, um,
3: <laughs> Friendly so, clashing.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like practice lightsabers. I swear. Oh, um, light's sparring. Something stood out to me this time that, again, maybe I shouldn't be watching these movies late at night because things start popping out and, and grabbing my attention and they're probably not meant to grab my attention this much. Yoda is the my least favorite character this entire film.
0: Yes!
2: He is the worst character in this whole movie. And I, I'm tired of blaming things on, oh, well, the Jedi are supposed to be not super heroic in these films. It's just, okay, I've heard, we've heard that excuse. We talked about that a lot. We talked about that in The Phantom Menace a lot, too. And I think it has a good place here. Yoda's just straight up not a good person in this film. Um, and there are three things that, that, that really stood out that, kinda, that go along with them. Two are legit. One is rather ridiculous, I admit. But the first one is when he notices – or when he senses Anakin's pain through the Force, when Anakin is busy off slaughtering the men, the women, and the children of the Tusken Raider camp. He senses all the pain, the death, the suffering that Anakin is going through and is causing on other people and then does nothing about it. Completely drops the issue. They don't deal with it. They don't talk about it. Nobody says to Obi-Wan, hey, your Padawan, who you're supposed to be responsible for, is going through a really tough time. Obi-Wan doesn't notice the tough time that Anakin's gone through. Mace Windu doesn't go... Nobody notices, except for Yoda. Yoda's the only one who has this information, and he decides to do nothing about it that we can tell. That's really frustrating.
3: The well, second thing... To be, oh, fair, the next time, to be fair, the next time he sees Anakin is in the genosis arena, so...
2: Yeah, I was wondering if I could try and rationalize some of that. Like, there's just no good opportunity to do so. But I feel like even that conversation that Yoda and Mace have is prime time to say this is like the concern we had or we knew he was you know he had tons of fear in his heart when we first met him 10 years ago or some kind of recognition that this is a bad thing you like or something that's going to cause problems later on or some recognition that this is a major milestone in Anakin's life this is and I don't know a lot of if we have a lot of the story between Phantom Menace and the Attack of the Clones I don't know if we've got any instance where Anakin is responsible for killing anybody in between those two things. So this could be Anakin's first experience with taking a life. It's also his first experience really tapping into the dark side. And that's some pretty heavy things to deal with when you're 19 and already over emotional about the girl who you just brought to home to meet the family. You never knew you had like, (laughs) he's having these horribly difficult experiences all within like a 24-hour time frame, and no one bats an eye. I mean, as a guy who spent time working with teenagers who freak out over the tiniest, littlest things, and you have to spend days working and helping them process through things, nobody cares about this poor kid. This was kind of the issue we had with The Phantom Menace, where there was nobody advocating on Anakin's behalf during the test, and Yoda is staring right through him. He's exposing all the deep, dark secrets of a nine-year-old boy. He's invading him. In his mind and in his soul. And he just continues that pattern here. And it's, it's really, really troublesome the way he just he, he's s- uh, cavalier about the things happening to this kid. Who's supposed to be the chosen one. You'd think the guy whose like, subtitle is the chosen one would get a little attention around here from time to time. Look how much Harry Potter couldn't get the teachers off of his back. I mean, and poor Anakin just can't get anybody to spend five minutes to talk about his feelings with him. Unbelievable. I don't think Anakin wants to talk about his feelings, though. Oh man! But if there's <laughs> anybody who needed to talk about his feelings, come right? <laughs> on, oh,
3: yeah. this poor kid. Oh, I'm I'm going to push back. Up. I'm going to push back slightly and say Yoda looks like he's actually experiencing physical. He's like he's physically getting sick from the pain he's sensing. So I don't think it's he doesn't care.
2: I I'd, I'd like to believe he does. I'd like you know one line of dialogue is all I need. You know, I'm a, I'm a simple man. Maybe there's more to it in the novelization. I haven't read that again in, in 1600 years. So maybe there's more to it there. But the second thing that I noticed that kind of stood out was in that same kind of conversation. And this might be a little picky. Um, Mace Window utters the line that kind of blew me away that says, maybe it's time to tell the Senate that our ability to use the force has diminished. Which is a weird line to begin with. Um not really sure that's ever brought up or addressed anywhere else sufficiently because it seems like a pretty big statement for the number two guy to say we can't do what we're supposed to do. But what bothers me is Yoda's reaction to say, no, let's not tell the Senate. Let's keep it a secret. And the the, the, the line he gives is that his it, they would have more adversaries if they did. like his Their adversaries would grow in number, I think is what he actually says. And it got me to thinking about, again, what the Jedi Order is doing in the Republic, like their role in the Republic. And as guardians of the peace, and it's kind of like the intergalactic FBI, their job is to be that front line of defense against whatever darkness, troublesome spirits are out there, right? And they can't do their job. And this is like the head of the FBI saying we can no longer enforce laws, but let's not tell anybody about it. It's it's very dereliction of duty kind of thing vibe I'm getting here. Like, and Yoda's rationale for that is that their adversaries would increase in number, and and that stands in such stark. Comp- contrast to mace Windu, who's like hey we really should tell somebody about this we can't do our jobs effectively we're not able to meet our meet our mandate we're not able to serve in the way that we should we should tell somebody i mean mace windows mace windows is the only guy who has the republic's interest at heart he's the only one who's actually looking to take care of the things they're supposed to take care of and and yoda's just like no we'll worry about that next week have you heard about this cool clone army we're gonna go pick up? very very strange um and the third thing and this is the ridiculous thing but this is again it stood out to me about yoda is like these yoda has this weird voice of authority we lend so much credibility to everything that he says and i think that stems from his character in empire and return of the jedi we want him to be that wise master who's imparting wisdom and then the prequels i don't want to think that they don't necessarily undercut that but they dramatically change our understanding of this character He says, begun the Clone Wars have. That's a pretty weird name for a war, isn't it? I mean, imagine if we had called World War II the Nazi War. Like, the clones were on one side of the conflict, not both sides. If if, if both sides had used clones, then Clone Wars would be a perfectly appropriate name for things. But we're stuck with the name Clone Wars from A New Hope. But Yoda's the one who actually christens it that way. And it just seems like a weird way of naming a thing, like to name it on the one side of the thing that kind of popped up on your side of the table. A little bit strange. But these are the three pieces of things that kind of cropped up this time that really stuck out and said Yoda is not the, the benevolent leader we all thought he was.
0: So uh, I actually I- have another one then to tack on. And it, it borders... The ridiculous statements and the maybe this guy is a little overrated in his time statement. And that's when um, Obi-Wan Kenobi sends them the transmission from Geonosis. And he first sends it to Anakin, tells Anakin to send it over to Coruscant. And magically, every single senator we know (laughs) and we care about are all together with the Jedi, <laughs> Jedi and they're all been summoned together. for this. Amazing how They it just
2: works. want to be in the room where it happens. The room where it
0: happens.
2: No one else was in the room where it happened. The where it happened.
0: Never enough Hamilton. But in in the transmission if you remember, Obi-Wan's given this message and all of a sudden droidic rolls up. Obi-Wan's pushed out of frame. And the Droidica just keeps shooting, and that's it. It cuts out. And Yoda mutters the phrase, like this is this is something no one has thought of. He goes, you know, there's more happening on Geonosis than has been revealed, and everyone's <laughs> like, "You're so wise." Nobody responds to him. No, I th- I think. Um,
3: Everybody I goes think like.
0: Maze Window is like, yeah. I agree. Like, what? Oh, good. Well, if Maze Window agrees, then it must be
1: right. <laughs> the paramount I, of
2: right. Mace you're Mace. not wrong about that sequence, but I I really like that 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 transmission sequence. I think that was actually a really really clever filmmaking right there. I thought that was it really, had
0: a really strong start, and then it just yeah. ended like that. <laughs> yeah. I think the
1: the prequels like overall are a commentary on like not believing leaders just because of the title they have right you know palpatine so many of the senators you know and yoda like he had the title of grandmaster he was should have been the pinnacle of what it meant to be a jedi and while he was very wise and did have great insight and did a lot of good like there were certain things that he kind of fell back on his laurels and became complacent and and it caused and, – and I think that's why we have such a different Yoda in Empire than we do in the prequels is because he spent those 20 years and, and was able to think on his mistakes.
3: Here's what it is, um, <laughs> the way I see it. Uh, the Jedi Order and the responsibility of the Jedi Order is dramatically changing, you know, very rapidly. Uh, they are essentially becoming – the police for the Senate. The Senate goes, oh, we have this issue, go take care of it. And so the Jedi don't have to worry about the spiritual side of things that much anymore. Um, and that allows, of course, Palpatine to come in. Uh, but Yoda is very much, you know he's been around for almost 900 years at this point. He's seen his fair share of things crop up and dissipate over the years, you would assume. Um, and Yoda is probably very set in the way of how he wants the Jedi to stay but the Jedi Order is being forced to change and he doesn't want that and so he's going to sort of dig his heels in and say no no let's just keep things the way they are as long as possible until he's forced to say okay the Clone Wars are beginning and you're right that's ridiculous that you're picking on the Clone Wars statement Um, it's the (laughs) title of the movie give it a rest um but um, uh, in fairness, it's attack of the clones, which is kind of like
2: an action that they take place. I mean, it's a, it's a lousy They call it the Clone Wars in A New Hope. So Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying they're boxed in by by other writing decisions made 30 years prior. That's
3: not uh, not an argument. <laughs> <laughs> but But all the decisions Yoda makes is what he meditates on and learns from while in exile on Dagobah. Th- th- this is a movie where Yoda makes mistakes. This is a movie where Yoda has issues and flaws. And he comes to realize that. He probably comes to realize that very soon after the war starts, as we start seeing him become very introspective during the later parts of the, the Clone Wars series. Um, but this is this is where he realizes he went wrong. And why he becomes so wise uh, in Empire Strikes Back. So this is, this is telling us that, yeah, our heroes, the people that we trust and look towards for guidance, even they're flawed. And Yoda especially at this point. So uh, he gets what's going on in Revenge of the Sith, but knows that the Jedi can't stop it at that point. Um, but at this point he's like, "Nah, let's just stay the same because that's what we've always done, and I don't want to have to change." And yeah, the devil so w- you, you know, know th-
1: versus the devil you don't know.
3: Exactly. So I feel
1: like
2: he even st- he's he he starts to recognize that that fault in his own because he he has the line where he says. He talks about arrogance as a trait becoming more apparent in Jedi, yeah. and he says, yeah. especially the older ones. Even I the
0: thought, older,
3: more experienced ones. I thought, God, like you do
0: that so well. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thank you. It's but not I like know, I've tried. You know, not like I've, <laughs> I've worked years to get that or anything. You, mean you don't
2: <laughs> stare. You don't stare at yourself in the mirror practicing it, so you can get like your ears bobbing the same way and everything. Not in the mirror, <laughs> but I do listen back. Um, <laughs> I had always thought that Yoda said that line about the older, more experienced ones looking at Mace Windu, kind of indicating to him, hey, we're getting up in our age. But he doesn't say it to anybody in particular. He's he's just kind of looking off wistfully into the distance.
1: Oh, I always thought he says it to
3: Obi-Wan. I I see. I don't I can't tell where his digital little eyes are looking. So so he's probably thinking of some specific people or warning Obi-Wan and Mace to to be careful about it, (laughs) thinking that he's good. But then he comes to realize, oh, that was my arrogance. You know, by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith, he's like, oh, that was my arrogance. At that, you know, be careful what you preach because it'll come back and you'll be held accountable to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And see, that's kind of like since he
2: is so old, I wonder if on on the timeline by comparison, if he's almost nine hundred years old, Obi Wan and Mace Windu, who are generously under a hundred years old, are still babies in his eyes. So when he says. Older, more experienced. It kind of is. It excluding them, and is he saying that about himself? Like,
3: I think, I, think, think just, I may not be the best leader anymore. No, in that in that regard, I don't think he's referring to himself. I think he's referring to people older than Padawans.
0: Uh, so. Ah, yeah. okay. So you're yeah, talking I can't about? I kind of any- took it the same way.
3: Yeah, he's like, he's like, don't don't just look at the Padawans and say, oh, they're getting so arrogant. Oh, they they're getting above themselves. They're rash. He's like, you know, they can teach us too. That's a good point. Yeah. Really wonderful.
1: The mind of a child is Mm,
3: exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, And that that scene, that that elementary school Yoda is the best Yoda in this film. That little 30 seconds where he's making fun of Obi-Wan for having lost the planet. I don't know why. But I really enjoyed
1: that. No, that's the
2: planet. I would say the
0: entire prequel trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> that is the the, the uh, truly wonderful point, the mind Nancy. of a child.
1: Is is my uh, my signature on my work email account. Nice. So love well, it. All right. So we're like an hour some odd into the show, and we're finally going to get to the good stuff. It's time to jump into our top three. And just because I, I have fun with this, and and I want to torment him, Drew. You're going to start our top three.
0: Oh, good Lord. So,
1: go ahead. <laughs> Begin. Okay. Um, I was not expecting that.
2: I know you weasel you. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta find my notes and understand what they mean. Good grief! This is. I usually let Lindsay talk, and that's when I read
3: stuff. Um, <laughs> oh, so you're not listening to Lindsay? <laughs> no, I don't ever listen to anybody.
1: It's <laughs> not how the show works. <laughs>
0: He's like, I just need to hear the last sentence so I know what I'm arguing.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like reading You're the headlines. Say it with confidence.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's how you adult. That's ninety te- percent of teaching is just saying stuff with confidence until they believe you. <laughs> 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 okay, so I've uh, I may or may not have found my spot in
2: the notes. Um, my number three. We're talking about top moments, and again, this is the government nerd coming out of coming out in me. Um, I kind of enjoy, when you take Mace Windu as a whole, excluding the last 25 minutes where it's all combat and war and nothing really interesting happens anymore, um, I think Mace Windu is the best defender of the actual Republic. I think he is playing the role of actually serving the mandate of the Jedi Order. Like I like how he is willing to say, we should go to the Senate and say we have a problem, because either we'll get the, we'll figure out a way to get the help we need or we'll find a way to correct the issue. I feel like he's willing to expose himself as insufficient in order to make sure the job gets done. Um, that kind of ties in with what I was talking about with Yoda, is it, where Yoda is the foil to that. Where he's not interested in doing that in order to preserve the Jedi Order. That's an interesting balance of ideas. Um, who you support and who do you let your support fall away from. And when Mace Windu stands up for the Republic and he believes in the mechanisms of the Republic, that's an interesting idea that I kind of wish would get fleshed out more. And I know nobody else on the planet likes Mace Windu, um, and I have decided to make it my my quest to redeem this character in somebody else's eyes, at least.
3: Uh, we so I think the that's piece, a re- Not soldiers. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. He's the one who's got kind of like those... Those those lines that he's not really interested in crossing. He doesn't want to train Anakin when he's a young one because he thinks it's dangerous. It's not worth risking the stability that the Order is able to preserve and has preserved for a thousand generations and to wager that on the temperamental whims of a nine-year-old. And guess what? He was right! <laughs> the training of Anakin leads to the downfall of everything that we know because he is taken and wielded by a master manipulator and wreaks horrible death, destruction, and pain from this end of the galaxy to the other.
3: That's putting an awful lot of responsibility of that on Anakin. Um, Well, yeah. I I think you're oversimplifying Anakin's responsibility, at least initially. Um, (laughs) But but I will grant you, Mace Windu, definitely uh, a hero and defender of the ideals of the Jedi and the Republic. Um, The problem is his ideals aren't worth crap at this point in the galaxy's history. (laughs) So uh, he is a, is a man out of time, so to speak. And uh, he's unfortunately uh, not going to bend in the wind. He will break ultimately, but I do agree. He is a staunch defender of the ideals of what he's supposed to be defending. Although he's very blunt and, 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 crass and, you know, <laughs> pointed when he does that with people. He doesn't care oh, about absolutely. people's feelings. A <laughs> <So, laughs> no, 100%. And it also starts to fall
2: apart when you get to Revenge of the Sith, where suddenly Palpatine is too dangerous to be left alive and he can't proceed through the courts. Um, suddenly the 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 trappings of the Republic are no, no more good to him. So it, it all falls apart later. I agree. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting to have somebody like this who was saying you know no we're going to work to work for the government because i think it ties into the sense of resp- responsibility that padme has you know she b- wants to work within the the roles of the government in order to make sure that the peace is kept as well and and they kind of work together i feel like they would have been friends if you know like you said mace actually had you know human relationships
1: and emotions <laughs> Well, here's the difference, though, is, like, Padme, when things get tough, sticks by her morals. You know, we see her questioning in Revenge of the Sith, whereas, like you pointed out, Mace Windu just flips. You know, he's too, he's too dangerous to be kept alive. It's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, but just a couple years ago you were saying, you know, that you were standing up for these ideals of the Republic. And I think that's an important point not to, to get lost is he, he flips really easily.
2: Well, I wouldn't say he flips really easily, but he does He does end up sacrificing his ideals in order to accomplish a different goal. I wouldn't say it's easy when you're staring down a Sith Master who's been leading from the shadows for 20 years behind the Supreme Chancellor, um, who's shooting force lightning at your face at the moment, but I, I agree that there is, there is a betrayal of his ideals in the end.
3: Yeah, well, it, he's also discussing with Obi-Wan about... The victory on Geonosis, um, right, you know, just two hours after he said at the beginning of the movie, we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. So (laughs) there is that. He got drafted, you know. (laughs) His his government asked him to serve, you know. (laughs) Yes, but he was just telling his government, this is not our place. Yeah, uh, you're true. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, but yes, no. I, I just I, wanted to raise his
2: objection for the record. That's all.
3: I well, true. But I appreciate <laughs> your your defending Mace Windu. I do think sometimes he gets a little too much crap, but some of it is justifiable crap.
1: Oh, absolutely,
2: 100%. <laughs> a, a lot of it. Oh, oh he's <laughs> a jerk. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he's a- what right, yeah, a principled jerk.
3: He's a jerk, but a principled jerk. <laughs> With
2: <laughs> principles. And, and really, we could all learn something from that. So what I'm saying is be a bigger jerk.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> all right, Jason, let's go to your number three. Oh, my number three. Uh, this is a totally Jason answer. Uh, if you've followed the Wampus Lair, you will not be surprised. My answer, uh, my number three is Count Dooku. I just love the man. I really do. Um, I think he is one of the most underappreciated villains in Star Wars uh, because I find him very fascinating. The fact that he was, you know, was a Jedi and is probably, you know, at least least initially turned because he thought it was the right thing to do. Um, But let's be honest. He's played by freaking Christopher Lee, has an awesome cape and the coolest lightsaber in the galaxy. Need I say more?
1: (laughs) 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 In... In what, three years will be the the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones and 20th anniversary of Phantom Menace. We're getting a lot of Phantom Menace content. We're getting Phantom Menace prequel content. So I'm just saying I'm holding out hope for that Count Dooku novel coming out. I mean, I think,
0: uh, Jason, I think you're going to have to come back on after Master and Apprentice comes out because it sounds like we're going to get some Dooku in that.
3: too. I hope so. I really hope so, because if we get some Qui-Gon Dooku interaction...
0: Oh, uh, I want it so badly. I need
3: that. I need that in my life. But, you know... <laughs> you know must, my, Master Kenobi, you disappoint me. Yoda holds you in such high esteem. Surely you can do better. <laughs> I mean, is that not just awesome? His introduction
2: sequence when Obi-Wan is, is kind of like suspended above the table is absolutely brilliant it's no, a wonderful see he's like this is not what i asked for at all he's you
3: know i oh, no, get you down friend. immediately oh no my Love friend that. this is a mistake a terrible mistake they've gone too far this is and you
2: can't you can't really tell if he's being genuinely offended he's like i yeah. told them not to behave this way to somebody who's my friend you know who 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 i respect and
3: you can't tell if he's being genuine of the or sarcastic exactly
2: because <laughs> at the end of the conversation he's like it may be hard to secure your release. I love it. it's he Christopher like you said Christopher Lee makes this role a billion times better than anybody else could possibly have done. Yes. It's a great character.
3: Love it. Oh my gosh, uh, he he's literally one of my favorite people ever in general. Christopher Lee, uh, and so I might be slightly biased in this. I'm gonna just put that out there. <laughs> no but way, dude. it's totally earned. He's he's absolutely worth that. <laughs> yes, but yes, I I am a huge fan of Count Dooku, and uh, need I go back to what I've been Star Warsing recently? Um, so yeah, it, he's my number three in this movie. Um, no no doubt about it.
2: How how Before we move on to Lindsay, how frustrated were you, Jason, when he dies in the first
3: five minutes of Revenge of the Sith? I, I mean, I understood why he had to die, but I was a little bit irritated that he didn't get a little bit more. I was like, you know, some people think Grievous is cool, but Dooku would have been better.
0: Do you think Clone Wars did him justice? Yes. Me too.
3: I, I totally do. And Corey Burton, I hope someday he shows up at a convention and I can get his autograph and meet him and say thank you. Um, so <laughs> I can't, I can't do that with Christopher Lee at this point. So I will settle little it. late. Yeah.
1: I, I see what they were doing with the prequel villains. It's just like three parts, you know, uh, Sidious had the three different uh, apprentices, basically who would eventually form Darth Vader. You had the raw power yeah. of Maul. You had the, the tactician of Dooku, and then you had the machine of Grievous but I do think Revenge of the Sith... I love Grievous. I think Grievous is great. But I think it would have been really interesting in Revenge of the Sith if you had Dooku for the majority of that movie. And like the the final act or or something that Anakin has to do is killing Dooku. And that's right before he turns or something. Could have been
3: could have been uh, the, really the, cool. the thing is, is I think you know you, you need something early on to show how close Anakin really is and how much influence... Do, uh, Palpatine has over him and so killing Dooku the way he does um, in the on the Invisible Hand I think you know tells a lot of where Anakin is at and we need that in the movie so I don't know how you would change yeah. Dooku's role in Revenge of the Sith I would have just liked more because it's Count Dooku you know <laughs> completely and I'm, agree I'm almost scared to someday get his first name um <laughs> Because,
1: but it might be as good as Sheev. No, (laughs) come on, you're you're telling me you didn't want to
3: know Sheev for your whole life. I mean, we have Madonna, we have Cher, we have Palpatine. Why do we need to give him a first name?
2: Well, now, what if it's not a title and his first name is Count? (laughs) (laughs) Count Count
3: Dooku. What is he related to? Count Count. (laughs) It's not a It's What if it's not a title? We did away with a lot of the expanded universe. No, he's the Count of Sereno in the Clone Wars. Ah, dang it. You're right. Yeah. Mm.
1: And in uh, the Dark Disciple. Oh, yeah. And the Dark Disciple. I'm going to find a way to make it work. Give me like a week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, while Drew's working on that, Lindsay, what's your uh, number three? Top
0: three? Uh, My number three I love political thrillers and things like that. So my number three, I have it in my notes as any scene that we are in Palpatine's office. I have it as Aaron Sorkin writes star Wars.
2: Whoa. Okay. You have invoked the name of the greatest screenwriter in the past hundred years.
0: I, I, if I say it three times, will he appear?
2: Uh, we could try. I love yeah, that.
0: It's worth the shot. But I love like learning about kind of the, how the, political system worked. I think that's something that kind of took people back when Phantom Menace first came out. But I love it. I love understanding the ins and outs of the Senate and things like the governorships, stuff like that. So to get to see some of that political manipulation at the highest level, I thought was a really nice little bonus of Attack of the Clones.
3: Uh, I'm going to jump in here because that's my number two is the political machinations oh don't I like it so into. much
0: now do you jason <laughs>
3: so, so what i
0: said don't like it too much now do you when people take your number ones and your number two <laughs> oh,
3: well no i don't mind it happens to me all the time on the wampus lair um although i usually have something that's all myself um but no i i i do love the political machinations as well this is a huge thing this is Palpatine sets his chessboard so that all he has to do now is hit the dominoes at the end of this movie and everything else falls into place, except Anakin. And then he can spend the next three years working on Anakin. You know, seriously, everything is set up, and all he has to do is turn the key and watch it run, to his conclusion. Um, He gets the army the way he needs to with the emergency powers. Uh, The separatists are completely, you know the dupes that they need to be in order to start the war. The Jedi are now involved as soldiers in a role that they should never have been playing, uh, which keeps them too busy to pay attention to what he's doing. You know, this is all going according to his plan. You know, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. Um, You know. And it's so brilliant and i think it's gets so overlooked sometimes by the general fandom that they don't realize just how much palpatine screws everybody over in this movie because yeah there's just there's so much
0: else going on
3: well we only we we see the results of the screwing over in revenge of the sith but this is when he you know pricks you with the poison pen um and it just takes three years before you die so he's won by the end of Attack of the Clones, he just has to wait for it all to unfold the way he needs it to.
0: Yeah. And he knows it. It's so good. So good. It is.
1: He's like such a an amazing villain because he has the brute force side and he has the political machination side of him, the chess player, you know, and so he can he can literally beat you any way he needs to. He's adaptable. And that's just so scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. And the one thing that he couldn't, couldn't defeat, though, was, was Luke and the, and the love. You know, that was the thing he never was able to, to plan for. Great villain. He's a great villain. All right, Drew, let's come back to you then and your number two.
2: All right. Um, well, I'm going to go back to Padme a little bit because I think the one scene in the movie that works and... I think the the writing is 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 really well done. The acting is probably the best acting sequence in the film is when Anakin and Padmé are discussing the different approaches to government on Nebu. Um I like how it leads in with the discussion of Paolo, the 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 old boyfriend from her previous life. I think that's really actually a really well-done little bit of script and the conversation that the two of them have about Anakin not thinking the system works and Padme pushing him on it and saying, well, what would you suggest? And then Anakin throws out his suggestion. And then they go back and forth and they have an honest-to-God conversation. And that is that little microcosm actually demonstrates a real relationship. It brings the two of them together. They have personal interaction. You learn something about each of them and you see the two of them working together. This is probably one of the most successful scenes in the movie to convince us that they can relate to each other and that they they have a connection. And it's really, really well done. Um, I like that Anakin is willing to say the things he says because even though Padme calls him out for joking around, there's a good bit of that conversation. Anakin is pretty dang serious about a singular figure who can make people agree. Like, he's looking for that in his own life. He wants to be that. He wants that kind of power. He doesn't know how to say that in words about himself yet. He doesn't know about how to to go about making that work. But that's really what he wants. He wants that kind of control and that authority. And he's kind of testing the waters in this conversation by couching it in terms that Padme is more familiar with. And she totally calls him out on it. He tries to backpedal and make it out like a joke, but dude, there's a a, a large kernel of truth in what he says. I really like this scene, and it, you have to stop the scene right when they get to the giant tick monster beast things
3: up they're. The shack. He's, sure, that's, that's what it's. That's what is it that? Means. What it's called? <laughs> it's a shack s, which is even weirder because there's a Jedi named Shack T. Um, yeah, so. that's. <laughs> They're probably spelled exactly the same way. Two A's and a K. They canvas. are. Like, they okay,
2: are. Great, great.
1: <laughs> Yay for creativity! If you, if you stop that
2: scene right before that cut, well,
1: and and I think that's had, where would it be great, it
2: would be perfect, hundred percent.
1: That's where you know people tend to look—is that or that? Oh, it's this—you know—hard-handed foreshadowing well, <laughs> of of what Anakin's going to become. But I think you make a really good point: is he's kind of testing the waters there and seeing like. What's the reaction to this going to be? Because I have these, it's like you have these ideas, but you don't want to say them because you're not sure if everybody else does the same thing that you do.
2: Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's like when you when you, you tell somebody, like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if, and then you actually give them the idea that you want to do in order to gauge their reactions? Like, wouldn't it be great if I bought a new guitar on my way home from work? That'd be great. And then when your wife goes, that'd be the worst thing you could ever do. And I would kick you out of the house. You're like, yeah, <laughs> that'd be terrible. like that's the kind of but that's a real relationship that real people have and and that's that's so good and it's like 45 seconds long and it, it really was a breath of fresh air and and i know a lot of people focus on the next part of that sequence where anakin's riding the giant tick monster and he rolls over and then they're rolling they're literally rolling through the grass on top of each other and it's just weird and bad um But if we hang our hats on that one sequence where they have a conversation, that's really good. And we can live there and be comfy.
0: I think the other scene, because I totally agree with you where that's a really great example of their relationship and how it is kind of based on something real. The scene where they're packing to leave and they're having that conversation where, you know, they're talking about how mentors have a way of seeing more of our flaws than we would like. And up until the point where Anakin kind of just stares at her super, super <laughs> creepily, like he's going to rip her face off and wear it as a mask. Up until then, <laughs> it's it's a great conversation. And it's really good dialogue, really well written, really good characters. And that's where I think I kind of started to see, okay, there's something there. There could be some kind of relationship there.
2: Yeah,
3: until he makes it all about himself.
0: As Anakin does. Yeah,
3: as he does. Yeah. Uh, that that That's one of those flaws that Obi-Wan keeps telling him about. Um, <laughs> that he doesn't like. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I totally agree. That's a fantastic scene. And I think uh, you picked up on another scene uh, there as well. The, 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 the disc mentor scene as well is another great example. But I would even include the cheesy running through the grass scene. Because, and here's why, we actually get to see Padme without the political mask. We get to see her, you know, laughing and enjoying herself and being able to just be Padme, which is something she can't do with anybody else. And I think that's a glimpse into why she falls in love with Anakin is because she can actually just be goofy and not have to care about what anybody else is going to think or say, and she can just sort of let it go. I'm not going to break in a song, don't worry. Um, oh,
1: dang it, you beat me to it. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I would try.
0: Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know.
2: <laughs> I was going to tell you to slam the door it's not hard <laughs> we're all about the musical references here at least me and Lindsay are <laughs> well, good. I got
3: that one
0: <laughs> I'm proud of you so it, um, but I, the,
3: the shack is a weird design I will grant you uh, but the fact that he gets on there and falls off and pretends like oh god I'm hurt just to see if she cares um, which she obviously does uh, is I think it's goofy and funny, and she actually gets a moment to not literally but figuratively let her hair down and just be Padme Amidala and not have to worry about being queen or a senator. So, um, yeah, because Padme night, never uh, goes without her hair, did that? That's very true. She never does. I mean, you've seen everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is another sequence of that later on in the movie, but whatever. No, I, I. I uh, let me let me test something with you guys because i think there's an alternate reading of this sequence like the whole rolling through the grass thing i got a, a weird vibe that this is like george lucas's shorthand for a sex scene like this is the closest he can come to putting with something like that heavy in a star wars movie they are literally on top of each other back and forth and it's it has this weird vibe and this odd tension from it like holy cow they're 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 kind of
3: going at it, and right in front of us here. Um, Am I the only one who ever felt you got that? I mean, you could interpret it that way. They are young and hormonal, so. Um, but you know, it, it. You also can just look at it on the surface and say, "Oh, it's young and innocent," you know, as well. So. Uh, but that's too easy. <laughs> like I said, like with many things in Star Wars, you can interpret it many different it's ways.
0: The ink fly test.
3: There you go. Well, then let's not talk about that anymore. Then
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Lindy, so
2: somebody goes after me, right? Lindsay, I think you're up
0: now. <laughs> all right. So my number two, um, it's really a little kind of collection of three short scenes. Um, and it's when they're giving Anakin and Obi-Wan their new assignments and they're assigning Anakin to his first solo mission. Um, and you know, there's, there's this scene where then Anakin says to them, she's never going to go for that. Padme is not going to want these bodyguards. It's not really in her style. And Yoda says something along the lines of until caught our decision, our decision, she must respect. And after that, Anakin goes and he talks to Pal- Palpatine and he tries to get Palpatine in on this. And get him to sway Padme to do something. And while Anakin goes to get Palpatine, Obi-Wan goes to Mace Windu and Yoda. And he's having this conversation voicing his fears and his concerns. And they're showing this massive hubris that we come to understand of this is why the Jedi fell. And I think that it's a really cool collection of scenes because it really shows the beginning of the end in three steps. It shows that the Jedi think that they outweigh the Senate shows Anakin going to Palpatine to kind of overreach everything that the Senate and the Jedi are doing. And then it shows the beginning of the council starting to exclude Anakin in a way that he's going to later resent. And I think that the, at the time, no one really understood the significance of those three scenes, but watching it now and knowing where we ended up, I think those are really the most pivotal pivotal few minutes in the movie. Hmm. I
3: hadn't looked at it quite that way. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's a good reading on it. Um, I also think it could also be read as, well, Padme is just so strong-willed that you have to bring both the Jedi Council and the Chancellor of the Galactic Republic to bear in order to get her to pay attention to <laughs> people <laughs> trying to save her life.
0: So... <laughs> She might not be interested in it otherwise. <laughs> exactly,
3: That's you have true. to basically That's bring really the entire weight of the galaxy to Padme to have her go. Fine. <laughs> and even then, she's not convinced. Even then, she's like, "I still don't like this idea of hiding." <laughs> she just does it so everybody will shut up.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I know all I, the smartest people in the galaxy are telling me it's a good idea, but I'm not convinced. Right.
2: She. Yeah, she, she comes her from a world house. of having body doubles and. All this stuff as a queen. So she's probably used to the security. Maybe she can
3: spot these kinds of things. You know, she did fly in a starfighter to get to Coruscant because of threats against her life. So, yeah, exactly. So this
2: is kind of old hat for her.
3: Exactly. But no, I, I like the way that you put that and, and, and couch that. So I will definitely have to watch to for that next time I, I watch the movie together. So.
0: Yeah, let me know when you do. I want to hear kind of your thoughts and how you would expand on that for sure. All right, so let's get into our
1: number ones. Drew, what's your favorite thing about Attack of the Clones? Like, what do you love about Attack
2: of the Clones? at some point, it's over. and We can move on.
0: This is weird. Jason, I'm with I think st- this is one of the best. So, Drew, bite your tongue. It was
2: set up like it was a l- slow pitch. It was right there. So, I took it. Um, uh, my...
0: Low-hanging fruit.
2: Yeah, of course. It's, you know, something. <laughs>
1: it's all I got, really.
2: <laughs> uh, my whole shtick. Uh, I think the best part of Attack of the Clones is when... Obi-Wan is given the grand tour of the cloning facilities on Kamino. And it starts when he's there walking through and he sees all the different pods and Lama Su and the Tanwi are talking him through the production. And the the way in which the visuals are matched with the dialogue is Really, I think the best use of those things in combination in the whole film, the way that they're talking about it, very clinically. They're saying, you know, we can usually it takes a lifetime to grow, but we've been able to figure out how to accelerate them, and it only takes a couple years. They're completely docile; they'll follow all the any instruction you give them, and they're talking it up to to Obi Wan to say, "Look at this great investment you've made," and all the while we're looking at real people you know stuck in these pods from from conception and all the way up to adult life and and they're talking about it like like it, like it, they're just meat like it, it's it's like producing reams of paper for them and obi-wan is not comfortable with this at all but and he does a good job of number 1 letting the audience know that but number 2 keeping it from the Keeping it from the characters in, uh, on screen, from, from really understanding his issues. And I think it's one of the most well-crafted parts of the movie, just in the way it, it juxtaposes those kinds of things. It's a, it's a good conversation. Obi-Wan is asking the right kinds of questions. He's he's getting them to keep talking about it. And he's able to really get what he wants from them without making the Prime Minister and Tanwi Tom, Tom feeling... Like they're under some kind of investigation. He plays the role really well here, and it's 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 really well crafted. And for me to say that is is kind of kind of tough to say because of all the things that are are not real well tested or well well put together. but uh, this is really the the best sixty seconds of the film is when he's walking through with those guys. i I, I think that I could watch that sequence alone and be pretty happy with it
3: that's a good sequence and you know obi-wan does a, a good job of trying to disguise his horror at the whole situation which is even more incredible considering the fact that ewan mcgregor was the only thing on set that day no, um
2: he's two just ball on a stick <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> exactly so but yeah no it's it is quite good. And then, if you even include one of my other favorite parts that's not on my list about this movie, is Obi Wan's verbal sparring with Django Fett right after that, you know, where he's doing an investigation yeah. with Django Fett right in front of Tan Wei. And Django knows what's going on, but Tan Wee's right. completely oblivious. Um, mm-hmm. So, I. If you couple those together, that is some of the best stuff in the middle of this movie, in my opinion. I, I love it so much; it's so good. So yeah, I'll, I'll stick
2: with I'll stick with just kind of like the tour because it introduces us to something that's we've never seen in the Star Wars movie before. Uh-huh. But I don't feel like it's I don't think it's clunky at all. I feel like it's it's an elegant way of introducing us to the idea of cloning without us being like. Look, we can clone anybody we want. We could have I feel like it's it's take it's done from a businessman's perspective and it's different from what we see in the rest of the galaxy. It's kind of like the way in which Yoda describes the force in Empire Strikes Back. It's from a very particular point of view,
3: mm-hmm. but it's
2: done in a very artful manner. This is this sequence does a similar task about a completely different issue. And The conversation you're hearing is genteel, it's courteous, it's clinical, but underneath there's some very, very dangerous assumptions being made by the characters there, and it allows us to actually think about it. And it's developed more in the actual Clone Wars show. There's the whole arc later—I don't even remember. Brandon, you may have to back me up on when this occurs. It's like season four or five when Anakin's troop is given over control to the the other Jedi who goes dark— Halfway through or something like that. Yeah,
1: Pond season four. There you go.
2: Season four. And the, the whole like three, four, five episode arc is all about whether the clones are property or people. And that is a heavy topic, especially for something with a target age range of nine to 14 year old boys. And that is impressive. And I think that sequence in the show has its roots here in the movie.
3: Yeah. Well, and also one of the things that the show did is every time they had a Kaminoan on screen is that they were either very clinical or very dismissive of the clones. You know, it was it was all business. They, the Kaminoans don't have the same morals that the rest of us do. They just don't because everything to them is business and cloning is their business. So that's, you know, that's also played up, it, you know, even with the senator. Uh, in the few episodes she's in, you know, this, this, the Camino and uh, Senator, right, yeah. she's she's very dismissive in general. Uh, but then especially when it comes to the army, she's like, no, we're building more people. We need to keep doing this. You know, stop it. Uh, you know, stop dilly dallying around morals. Let's just do the work. So, you know, it's like, geez. And that you're right. That all stems from here. So
2: I love and earlier when when Obi-Wan arrives and and some I can't remember which character describes him as one of the finest armies we've ever created. And I love the idea that this one's really good. It's probably in the top five, but that means it's not alone. (laughs) And there are other entities out there with potentially better clone armies over time. And I was like, oh, man, that's world building. That's interesting. I like that kind of stuff. It's subtle, but there's depth behind it.
1: it There's really good stuff there. Could you imagine if they pulled that in for uh, the sequel trilogy and Snoke had one of those (laughs) armies?
2: Well, I, I like that Kylo Ren makes that snub joke to Hux where he says, we could have just used a clone army because your troops are no good. You know, that, <laughs> right? so good. Of, that dig in him was clever, but I don't know if they bring that idea back now. Eh,
0: I'd I feel like if have- we see it anywhere, it's going to be in like Galaxy's Edge or something.
3: Yeah. There you go. Oh. Uh, Attack of the Clones uh, and the prequels in general, I think does a great job at world building. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, there, there's some really great stuff in there.
2: Yeah, this is definitely my favorite example of that. And this is the highlight of the movie for me. So, see, it's not all terrible. I mean, it's got 60 seconds of of pretty really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. so
3: generous. You're so generous, Drew.
2: Well, you know, I, I, I call it like I see it. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I Let's think go you talk about Rogue One. That'll be
2: fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Jason, you're up. Let's do your number one.
3: Oh, man. I there are so many deep things and stuff that I could say about attack of the Clones Cause I've thought a lot about this movie and I really do love it. My number one is not one of those things. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just say the arena battle, but let me preface this by saying, I've also put in parentheses on my notes, correction, all of Geonosis after this party is over. Um, so Uh-oh. I really do love the beginning of the clone wars, all of it. The, the Jedi arena battle is probably my the highlight of all of that for me. But I love seeing the ground battle, and I'm also a big fan of the duels at the end. Um, so, I, I Genosis is my favorite location in Attack of the Clones because of all the stuff that we get to do. I like seeing what the Jedi were like in their prime. I like seeing their their combat prowess, even though I know they're supposed to be keepers of the peace, not soldiers. This is just fun stuff for me. I love seeing lightsabers and blasters and just going at it. I, I have recreated this battle so many times with action figures playing in the backyard by myself with a yellow wiffle ball bat uh, when I was younger. I like, oh my gosh, the, the, no joke. The Jedi, I, I know almost all the Jedi's name that they've actually named in the arena battle. Uh, this is like, I've spent so much time and energy going through this. I went through the whole battle, the arena battle, frame by frame, multiple times to watch each of the Jedi in the background and what they were doing, noticing which ones that they repeated, um, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I have a slight obsession, not going to lie, uh, but I, there's no real deep thing behind this. I can go deep in Attack of the Clones. My number one is all about the fun battle crap that we get at the end. Sue me. Um, so
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I totally agree because this is one of those things where every single time I watch it, I'm immediately thrown back to when I was like 12 years old watching this for the first time and no matter what, it's just fun. and That's, that's what Star Wars is supposed to be. I just have a good time watching it and there's nothing wrong with that you know we don't necessarily always have to turn our brains on and think so deeply and so critically about everything it's it's just fun to for 10-15 minutes at the end of a movie just enjoy a really good collection of fight scenes
3: my my favorite star wars movie is return of the jedi and everything from when the battle and everything from when the battle starts is my favorite part I love the interaction and the the cutting back and forth of all the battles going on at the end of Return of the Jedi. Attack of the Clones is my second favorite Star Wars movie of all time and it's for much the same reason. While there's not as much intercutting back and forth as Return of the Jedi, I just love the battles so much. So that is that that, that kind Nothing of Nothing
0: wrong with that.
3: No. No. I can get deep and philosophical if you want me to. But with my number one, I'm not gonna. <laughs> so don't ask me. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> and I think it's
1: great how it's filmed in a very documentary style, you know, with the, the battle uh, in Geonosis in particular. Not necessarily the lightsaber duel, but uh, we get those big sweeping shots that you would see in a World War II or Vietnam War documentary. Um, and I, I think that was executed perfectly.
3: Uh, it's it's good fun stuff, and I won't, you know, tell you that I probably still play Jedi today. Um, <laughs> hey, that's I, okay. I, I, I have t- a
1: lightsaber at school, so I
3: <laughs> I've got the um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but the the augmented reality the Jedi uh, challenges. Yes, Jedi challenges. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I play a lot uh, where I'm fighting off the battle droids in there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I do.
0: So, me yes. and you both, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you are not alone on that one. Thank God.
3: Um, but yes, no, I, I, I have so many Jedi action figures. I need to get more battle droids just to make it fair when I ever I do my ultimate diorama of this scene. That's a lot of battle droids you're gonna have to get. Oh, I know, I know, because I have probably every single Jedi action figure that was released for this battle. Period. Um, Do you have like a
2: personal favorite or top three or five or whatever of like the Jedi that are there? Like, who's Kit who?
3: Fisto, Shock T, uh, and then it's probably someone like either Plo or Coleman Tra-or. Coleman Tra-or is kind of cool, but let's be honest, he's a philosopher, <laughs> not a not a warrior. Um, so. <laughs> But yeah, Kit Fisto, Shock T are definitely one and two, and then it's, it's got to be down to like maybe Luminara or Plo Koon or something like that. So, All right. not bad. Star Wars is fun. All right. It is. <laughs> 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 All right,
1: Lindsay, finish From us off. Time. Let's bring us around this round. Right, this out. My
0: number one. I know. I know. It seems so tiny and so silly, but. I have always really liked that they were able to work a really nice origin story in for Boba Fett without it feeling like it was just fan service. I think it just fits in well with the plot. It kicked off a phenomenal series of books. Um, but it didn't it felt really natural in the story and like a really good part of the story.
3: I interesting. I know many people who would totally disagree with that. I am not one of them, though. Because before this movie, I couldn't care less about Boba Fett. I still say he's the most overrated character in Star Wars. However, the fact that he is a clone, an unaltered clone, and knows he is such, makes him very interesting when he has to keep running against clone troopers and Jedi during the Clone Wars. The amount of convoluted torment and turmoil going on in that kid's head after losing his dad to the hands of the jedi while watching his his clones take over and save the jedi that killed his dad um at 10 years old and then how that shapes the rest of him going forward is mind-boggling i don't know how you know you you don't become the world's the Biosi's yeah, most it's badass like Jedi or a bounty hunter ever uh, because of that. But yeah, I
0: find... And I mean, it, d- it didn't take you out of the story either. It wasn't like it was something happening on the side of the story or something that really made you be like, wait, hold on. Put that on pause. Let's go back here. It just, it works in seamlessly with everything else. Yeah.
3: No, I agree. I, like I said, I never cared about Boba Fett before Attack of the Clones. Mm. I still barely care about him, but this is the movie that makes me barely care about him. So,
1: <laughs> see, I, that I, that part has always kind of just rubbed me the wrong way, and for no particular reason. It just, I'm like, okay, did we did we need it though? Like, was it necessary? Not really. Uh Like from the get go. Well, what
2: are you? What, what what are you talking about? Just, the introduction of Boba Fett as an all just, nun- just the both, clone?
1: Yeah, just the whole the whole thing. I mean. When I saw it in theater, I was like, oh, that's Boba Fett? All right, you know, whatever, because I don't really care about Boba Fett, but it always just has seemed kind of... It seemed kind of forced into me, so...
2: Hmm. Interesting. But I'm I, not sure where I come down on it yet, because I like... I like Boba Fett from the, the original trilogy. I thought he was really cool, and I thought they did cool things with him. I like that he had like a lot more happening in the Expanded by a blind universe. Well, I like that he... He kind of came in Empire Strikes Back as the man with no name and that he exuded that kind of of presence immediately and he never really does anything but the, he ha, he inspired that kind of awe really really easily and yeah he's a little wasted in return of the Jedi but I like that he got rescued in the in the old expanded universe. Jason, did you have any did you ever read any of the expanded universe novels specifically the Oh, gosh. Somebody help me out. Is it the Legacy of the Jedi books? The ones where
3: uh,
2: Boba Fett ends up having to hunt down some old clones?
3: Did you read those things? Maybe. i read quite <laughs> a few. I, I've, I have gotten com- completely confused on which book series is what at this point. Okay. Um, Post New Jedi Order. Um, but I did read a lot of it. I think I the last series I read was the one where jason went off the deep end jason solo went off the the, deep end and turned that
2: series uh, that series is one i'm I'm trying to go back and find time to revisit and in in the part of that storyline is old man boba fett has to track down some some clones because you know fett's body is falling apart and so he he yeah 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 yeah. camino and um Brandon, you would really like these too because he has to like really hunt them down. He finds the old clones and he threatens to kill them and harvest their organs, but he ends up learning from them. It's some really interesting stuff. I think that's Karen Travis is the author.
1: Probably, (laughs) I think I have one of those on my shelf. It's like Bloodline or something. Yep, I think I yeah, I have I have some book with Boba Fett on it. I'll I'll get to it eventually. I, I'm going to I'm trying
2: to find because re- the, the series keeps coming up as as in the back of my mind as an interesting thing. And I, I it needs some some time to go back and, and see if it's any good anymore. I remember it being good. But, you know, like I said, that was back in high school. <laughs> yeah. So, so, job well done, Lindsay.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad it has your approval.
1: <laughs> that's what that's what really matters in the end of the day is Drew's approval. That's what we're all here for. <laughs> Not what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I see how it is.
3: Oh yes, I don't need your approval.
2: (laughs) Ah, but you have it regardless. How's that?
3: Well, I I (laughs) appreciate so generous.
2: No, I. Uh, Jason we really do appreciate you coming on this has been a lot of fun hopefully um, you've enjoyed some part of it sorry for bashing your
3: film just just a smidge Um, oh I don't really don't worry about it I've heard (laughs) every argument known to mankind against this movie and I've dealt with it so like I really it, it takes a lot to get me angry about nah, and, in general so and it's a movie so let's be honest it's just a movie at the end of the day it's not worth getting that angry over um so
1: <laughs> what a concept have civil well, discussions about movies no okay no that, see <laughs> that opinion the right is
2: not blocked thank you oh i don't, I, don't
3: I, I really am too old school for the internet i'm not gonna lie <laughs> aren't we all
1: all right so uh jason you want to go ahead and give your plugs for wampas lair and everything before we close out sure. the show
3: Yes, uh, if you uh, want a, a discussion based show similar to Clashing Sabers with cooler kids, no, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> um,
1: <Uh-oh. laughs> I mean, he's right,
3: but. <laughs> then then Wait, check uh, out. Katie's been on our show. Yes, she, she has, and she's probably the coolest of all of us, um, <laughs> at least on the Wampas Lair. I, there's a reason why we asked you to join, and everyone is, who has is experienced Katie Horn knows why um because she is an experience let's be honest um <laughs> and i love her for it but uh yeah check out the wampas lair podcast uh we're on the star wars com network you can check us out on facebook facebook.com slash wampas lair podcast our twitter handle is at wampas lair or there's always the gmail which is Wampus lair podcast at com.
1: And, of course, you can follow us over on the Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Send us your thoughts. Send us your emails. I really want to do an email show sometime soon where we just sit down and the three of us discuss, or four of us maybe, discuss the emails and and comments that we get from everybody. That would be a lot of fun. So send us that, Network at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is the Clashing Sabers Star Wars community on Facebook, so make sure you head on over there. And then, finally, don't forget to enter our contest for the Cad Bane Figure you can do that by going over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, leaving us a rating review, take a little screenshot, send it over to me, and you will be entered for this month's contest, which will be uh, announced on our first episode in March. So let's go ahead and get out of here with one final important message. Drew, Batch 8. Hi, hope. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at Network at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm Disney or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about, but Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.
0: You want to come and join with you?